This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's been a bit of an anxious time for Oregon's largest private employer. A change at the top. Our gargantuan new campus planned for suburban Ohio. Stocks took a big hit. But last week, Intel celebrated the completion of a massive expansion in Hillsboro, and the tech giant effectively reaffirmed Oregon's importance to its present and future. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with You Oregonian. Up next, business and technology reporter Mike Rogaway. We talked about Intel's big week, why the company renamed its flagship Oregon campus, what it can and can't do about its greenhouse gas emissions, and much more. Here's our conversation. Mike Rogaway, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, good morning, Andrew. Mike, you've covered Intel for a very long time, and it feels like this past week was a significant one out in Hillsborough. Can you talk about what happened and set the scene for us out there? The bottom line news was that Intel formally opened the uh, $3 billion three-year expansion of its D1X research factory. This factory is where it develops each new generation of microprocessor. And Intel is under extreme pressure after a series of technical failures to play catch-up with the rest of the industry, with the most advanced technology. And this $3 billion expansion builds a, a... a kind of factory that can accommodate new manufacturing tools, a new generation of what they call EUV, extreme ultraviolet lithography, mm-hmm. get smaller circuits essentially onto the silicon wafers to make computer chips. These tools are enormously heavy. Uh, you fly them uh, to the factories in a 747. Uh, they're the size of a school bus and they're $130 million a piece. Wow. And the existing factory can accommodate the current generation, but the expansion will accommodate the next generation, a heavier, larger tool. And what Intel engineers there, it will then replicate at its factories in Arizona, Ohio, Ireland, and Israel. Being able to do this in Oregon uh, enables Intel to move ahead on the next generation of technology. Well, not the net very next, but five to 10 years. Okay. So this gives Intel some runway to play catch up. Uh, and and potentially restore its leadership position. The new CEO, Pat Gelsinger, has committed $80 billion to new factories around the world. Intel, before his arrival, had been considering outsourcing its manufacturing altogether, getting out of the manufacturing business, or at least offloading the most advanced manufacturing. He came in and did exactly the reverse. It's an enor- it's an enormously expensive bet. Eighty billion dollars is eighty billion dollars any way you slice it. It's a lot of money for any tech company. It's an all in move, right? Putting all the chips, all the microchips, at the center of the table. <laughs> Good phrasing. Yes, this is the classic bet the company move here that Intel is 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 making. And it will be years before we know whether it's paid off. But at the very least. The new facility is, is pushing them in that direction. They This is at their Ronler Acres campus. Ronler Acres was a housing development that Washington County uh, approved in the 1950s that went absolutely nowhere. No one wanted to live there. 
Nothing got built for 30 years. Uh, and it became sort of a neighborhood dump. That's just where everyone took their junk. Well, Intel bought it in the early 90s and made it their most advanced manufacturing campus, which is, you know, it, it seemed unlikely at the time, but they've got 2,000 PhDs out there. This is their research center. Yeah. And it's where some of the most advanced uh, semiconductor engineering in the world is done. And they've renamed it for their their founder, Gordon Moore, who he, he's a co-founder and CEO. He's the guy who coined Moore's Law. And before this, they didn't have anything named for him. Their headquarters in Santa Clara, California, is named for their other co-founder, Robert Noyce. But they didn't have anything named for Moore. Now, Gordon Moore didn't live in Oregon. He didn't work in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a Californian. He's still living. He's 93. He lives in Hawaii now. But this, this is a landmark and that they finally have something named for him. And it is, you know, their, their main, main research facility. So it, it makes a degree of, of sense. So you, you glossed over Moore's law there. I, I think a, a lot of, uh, you know, tech people or computer savvy people would know what that means. But, uh, for the layman, uh, what's Moore's law? Yeah. So Moore's law was the notion. It's sort of a virtuous cycle that the the number of transistors uh, that you could fit on a computer chip would increase exponentially. Uh, it would roughly double every couple years as the transistors, as the features on the chip got smaller. And that did two things. It enabled more powerful computing. And because you can put more computing in the same space, it also enabled more efficient computing and so and less expensive. So you had this virtuous cycle where technology became more advanced. At the same time, it became cheaper. And this was what Gordon Moore foresaw in the late 1960s and early 70s. He revised the law a couple times um, to, you know, as mm-hmm. as the rate of technology changed. Uh, in the past few years, Intel at least has sort of bumped up against the limits of Moore's law. The features on the computer chips now are are roughly the size of you know an a few atoms, and it's very difficult to work on that scale. And yeah. Intel's inability to continue uh, advancing at that called Moore's Law into question. Now, with these new manufacturing tools, they're hopeful that they can they can uh, pick up the pace. Okay, so th- this company, which is you know a fundamental piece of our daily lives and and really kind of the the tech world that we live in, this this man Gordon Moore is a, a very important piece of this legacy and and continues to be today so you know it it goes without saying but naming this facility renaming this facility in oregon that says a lot right to to name it for gordon moore yes you know and i i I think ron laracres i think was kind of an obscure name even in hillsborough uh i think people knew what it was but it didn't exactly trip off the tongue and whenever we'd write about it we'd have to explain what it was and where it was if you drive out 26 you know, if, if you're headed toward the coast, it's on your left. You can see it from the highway. It's sort of right behind Hillsborough Stadium, but it's it's behind wetlands. It's behind a giant parking garage, the manufacturing facilities. So you can't really see them. But, you know, uh, you know the Gordon Moore campus or the, their big administrative engineering building there is now going to be called the Moore Center. That sort of trips off the tongue a little bit better. Okay. So, and, and I, one, one more thing, yeah. Andrew, I, I should note is that I, I mentioned that Gordon Moore didn't live or work in Oregon. He was, though, uh, reputedly responsible for the company's decision to expand here. Keith Thompson, their original site manager, got recruited um, by Tektronix's board to come up and, and look about possible expansion here. And he had found a site at that time in Aloha. Mm-hmm. 
and said, oh, well, maybe Oregon makes sense if we're looking for a new manufacturing facility. It's a quick flight from the San Jose airport. And Moore said, yep, let's do it and signed off. Okay. So um, there's that that connection there. Uh, Intel is, uh, you know, I know from having covered the city of Hillsboro, uh, it's not exactly a an open door policy to come out to, to the facility no. there. Um, so what kind of access did you get last week um, wh- when you went out there? And can you describe just kind of what it looked like? Yeah. So uh, there, there's still, I haven't been inside their factories in several years, even when um, Obama was out here to visit this campus in 2012. They didn't let him in the factory. Uh, he, they let him look in a window. <laughs> uh, they're very strict about letting people know, you know, how their tools are aligned, what tools they're using. So when we were out there, you know, the, the event they had was they had, you know, the governor, Kate Brown, they had, uh, Representative Bonamici, they had Senator Wyden and Senator Merkley were all there, uh, as well as Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger. And, before Gelsinger, no Intel CEO had done any kind of public event in Oregon, even though it's their largest site in about a decade. They'd gone two CEOs without ever doing any, neither one, uh, neither Bob Swan or Brian Krasanich did any kind of public event in Oregon. They essentially were, it felt like they were looking down their nose at the state a little bit. They didn't really talk about what they did in Oregon. Gelsinger, who lived here for 30 years or so, maybe 20, uh, as an Intel executive. Mm-hmm. He's much more in tune with what's going on in Oregon. And I should point out, he's also engaged in fierce lobbying on Capitol Hill. He wants $52 billion in subsidies for the U.S. semiconductor industry, much of which would flow to Intel uh, and help pay for his $80 billion in expansion that he has on the drawing board in Arizona, Ohio, and Germany. And so he's getting to know the politicians in Oregon and around the country very well and getting them working for him to get that moving forward. So we've talked on this podcast about the political situation that led to the expansion in Ohio. And so, I mean, what, if anything, should we make of this uh, big to-do out in, in Hillsboro with the governor and both senators and uh, obviously the Congress uh, woman there um, and the CEO, as you mentioned, is that a, a sign of, Hey, we, we still love you. Well, Intel's certainly trying to send that message. And I think one thing that, that I've been wondering, you know, Intel has invested a lot in research in Arizona with uh, Arizona state university. Mm-hmm. And now with their new Ohio site, they're, they're getting in close with Ohio State University. And those are both very large, very established research institutions with engineering programs that really are on a scale that we don't have in Oregon. And so I think it's it was and probably still is kind of an open question as to whether or not Oregon makes sense in the long, long term for Intel's most advanced research. That said, you know, very few of the PhDs, you know, there aren't enough PhDs coming out of any one engineering program or any 10 engineering programs in the United States to meet Intel's needs. They're going to import them, uh, whether they're from Ohio or Arizona or Berkeley or Palo Alto or Israel mm-hmm. or Germany or Hong Kong. They're going to be importing a lot of their PhDs here. And so maybe Oregon makes as much sense as anywhere. But certainly having a CEO who lived here for many years, who knows the lay of the land, and is putting an emphasis on Intel's engineering and its research, 
probably says something good for its its future in Oregon. It doesn't seem likely, you know, Oregon doesn't have the thousand acres that that large semiconductor manufacturers are looking for now when they're building new factories. They call them fabs. There's no open parcel of industrial land in the Portland area like that. It won't be soon before we find such a thing. But if Oregon can sort of hold on as Intel's engineering hub, if they have a CEO who's committed to engineering, a CEO who knows Oregon, then that's probably a, a good sign. You know, the company has 22,000 employees here. This is, as I said, its largest site. And it doesn't look like that's likely to change. As a share of, of employees in the company, Oregon is likely to drop, I think, over the next as these new factories open. But it, it may its role may still be fairly central. Put in perspective, how how big is this mod three expansion at D1X? I think the whole thing is one point one million square feet, but I believe it's two hundred and seventy thousand square feet of clean room space. So that's equivalent to two full size Costco's. And this is all manufacturing space. The rest is you know, sort of support. There's an enormous amount of of tubing, uh ductwork, wiring, water, uh that to support the fab, but 270,000 square feet. I mean, it's, it's just enormous. That's what it's adding to this facility. There are two other clean rooms that are, will now be attached, uh, of comparable size in the, in the existing parts of the fab. So this is really just a very large facility. That said, three pieces together are probably the size of one of the fabs that Intel is building in Arizona, Ohio, and, and Germany. So as big as it is, it's it's still smaller than what's going on elsewhere. But for Oregon, I mean, if D1X, this the whole research factory overall is called D1X, yeah. you know, it's probably the largest capital investment in Oregon history. It started around 2010, and surely the total investment of it, on it is is in the tens of billions of dollars at this point. Yeah, so I was going to talk about the timeline because I was out covering the city of Hillsboro when a piece of this was really moving forward. And we, I think, teamed up on a couple of stories back in the day, which is like a decade ago yes. now. So when we're trying to explain what exactly all of that investment from a decade ago does in practicality today, like how do we, is that, you know, a chip that's powering your, laptop that's now being made a decade later or uh, like do we have any yes. sense of yeah can you explain that yes so th these are the most advanced chips so if if you're buying a chromebook maybe not you know a more standard thing but if you're buying uh, and now apple uses its own processors but if you're buying an hp or a dell uh you know a, a leading edge laptop then yes the 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 computer chips, the microprocessor, the brain in your laptop is was engineered there. And if you're buying it brand new, the chip probably came out of there too. So what Intel does is they, they'll ramp up the most advanced technology in these facilities and then the in 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 Hillsboro. And then they this copy exactly philosophy they have. They'll precisely duplicate the manufacturing environment, you know, right down to the air uh, in Arizona and and Israel has to be made similar to the air in Oregon at least within the in the clean room so that everything acts just the same way. And so but the first the first ones off the line come out of Oregon and once they get the process ramped up at the other facilities then they ramp down here and begin ramping up the next technology. 
you know, increasingly important to Intel is the data center market. It's hugely profitable. And a lot of our computing now is done, as they say, in the cloud. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what's engineered, you know, at D1X will go first into data centers uh, to provide the most efficient, most powerful computing. Amazon, Google, Facebook, they're, they're really hungry for the most advanced chips. And there's increasing pressure on Intel from rivals AMD, uh, NVIDIA, and and others uh, to create alternatives to Intel's technology. And they're making head, headway in that. You know, Intel's, Intel uh, Intel just a couple of years ago essentially controlled that entire market. Uh, and now they're still the dominant player, but the others are definitely eating away at it. Okay. As you're talking there, I could just, in my mind's eye, hear the mayor of Hillsborough, Steve Calloway, and economic development directors being like, hell yeah, that's made in Hillsborough. And I could just see them smiling, yeah. and I'm sure they were smiling away in the crowd uh, last week. Well, and I, I, I think because because they do, Intel doesn't typically let people into its clean rooms or even see them through the window, unless you're the president, uh, and because it's you know, surrounded by wetlands and a giant parking garage, you know, it's, it's kind of invisible to Oregon. We're not aware of this, but in economic terms, technology is as important to Oregon now as the forest products industry was in the 1970s to Oregon. This is our dominant industry. Our exports, you know, jumped enormously last year. And most of the increase was semiconductors. This is, this is our bread and butter industry. Uh, and semiconductors make up uh, a slim majority of our exports overall. This is this is the heart of Oregon's economy, as they say in Washington County. It's uh, it's the engine of the economy. They they like to call it out there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and it's you know it's not just these two thousand PhDs. And this was something else that Intel was doing out there last week. Um, they, you know, you you can get a job making sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year to start with a two year community college degree as what they call a fab tech, a fab uh, fab technician. You know, running the tools in these factories. And Intel is just really, and, and every chip maker in Oregon and across the country is really hungry for these workers right now. And so Intel was pushing new programs they're developing with uh, Portland Community College and the Hillsborough School District that will push people, hopefully, they hope, quickly into this market. You know, it, it doesn't take that long to train people up, but people have to commit to the training. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to to point them to that direction and say, hey, here's a good job without a lot of upfront commitment for you on the education side uh, that can lead to a, a long and lucrative career for you. Well, let's take a quick break, then we'll come back and talk a bit more with Mike Rogway, business and technology reporter for The Oregonian in Oregon Life. All right, Mike. So you had a busy week uh, on the Intel uh, front last week, and and uh, part of that was discussing, you know, this company that has such a massive footprint. Uh, it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. Uh, there are emissions that come along with all of these innovative ways of uh, making chips smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, can you talk a little bit about your your reporting on uh, Intel's emissions plans and kind of how they are? plan to address that and how they're hamstrung in, in some regards. Yeah, every every technology company over the past several years, you know, technologists are scientists and engineers. They they don't there's no doubt about climate change uh within the technology industry. There's universal belief that this is a major issue and that it needs to be dealt with. 
And for many of these companies, if you're Apple, for example, uh, their solution is, well, we're going to rely on renewable power. We'll build wind farms. We'll invest in, in uh, solar arrays. And that's the way we're going to move toward clean energy. It's more difficult with Intel. Intel uses a huge amount of electricity uh, to run its fabs, but that's not the main source of its emissions. Most of its emissions overall come from the chemicals it uses to make these semiconductors, and they are high emitters of carbon equivalents and, and big contributors to climate change. And so what Intel said this past week is they're going to commit by 2040 to being net zero on climate emissions, essentially wiping them out. But the trick is that over the next 18 years, they're going to have to find some alternative way of dealing with their emissions through chemicals. And so they and other semiconductor manufacturers and their suppliers are looking for, you know, new classes of chemicals that will not only do the same thing the ones do now, but do things better because the industry has to be playing to where it's getting to where the puck is going to be. And, you know, uh, today's technology will be long obsolete in 2040. So they're engaged in research on that. It's an open question of whether or not they can deliver. It really isn't clear at all that they can. They, they said they left themselves an out. They say mm-hmm. that if, if they can't get there, uh, they will go with, you know, carbon offsets instead, which is essentially investing in clean energy or rainforest protection or things like that, that, that reduce carbon impacts in other ways. But it's environmentalists hate these offsets. They, they say they don't really contribute nearly as much uh, to reducing uh, climate change as just simply not emitting as much. But Intel's made this commitment, and, and TSMC, uh, their big rival, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing uh, Company, has made a similar commitment. The industry sees this as an issue. They recognize it. We'll see if they can get there. Where does Intel currently rank in Oregon in terms of uh, industrial polluters? So Intel is number seven uh, among manufacturing polluters. Now, most of our emissions or the largest single emitters um, in Oregon are electricity generators, utilities, and and gas-fired electricity plants. But Intel is number seven overall, so they are a significant emitter. Of course, they're Oregon's largest employer, so... You know, per employee, it's not as much as Georgia Pacific, for example, is our largest emitter and emits something like five times uh, as much carbon equivalent as Intel does. And they're not nearly as large an employer. But, you know, Intel is one of our significant climate emitters and we'll need to address that if they're if they're serious about meeting their commitment. Obviously, we talked about the notion of we're just going to pollute here, but buy some (laughs) clean energy from over there. These Um, offsets. The offsets, which are problematic um, in some people's view. And I understand that argument. But is there a symbolic argument that the Intel, you know, Intel making this pledge is symbolically matters given its stature in Oregon? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, if if Intel's making that, this commitment, if they can deliver it, there are our big, you know, corporate workhorse and, you know, they're our industrial leader. And if they're pointing in that direction, then it certainly puts some the onus on the other manufacturers to say this is what we're doing but when oregon has proposed various uh climate reduction mandates uh they've generally been written in such a way to excuse intel funny how that works huh y- yes <laughs> what else are you working on or you think uh we should hit on while we have you here 
in terms of uh, the tech world? It was a busy week this past week in Oregon technology. You know, the same morning, Intel had its its big event in Hillsboro, which happened to be the the day that uh, on Monday, the day the the big snowfall hit. Uh, uh, Portland software company Puppet agreed to sell to a, a, a Minneapolis company, and Puppet. They play in an obscure world of, of software. Uh, they make DevOps, IT automation software. Essentially, they automate functions inside data centers and large computing networks that people would otherwise have to manage themselves. And mm-hmm. in the time around the Great Recession, the tools to manage this technology were really rudimentary, and it was just very labor-intensive and not fun. It was busy work, essentially. So we had uh, a Reed College graduate, Luke Canise, started Puppet. He he was a, a DevOps worker himself and said, this is a better way to do it. He created an open source product, Puppet, and it became extremely popular, very widely used. Coming out of the Great Recession, this was Oregon's most promising young technology company. You know, We hadn't had a big startup breakout in many years, and it certainly looked like Puppet was going to be the one. They hired hundreds of people. They moved several times within just a few years um, between 2009 and 2016. I think they moved five times larger quarters. They need more space, more space, more mm-hmm. space. They were growing so fast. And then they kind of hit a wall. Essentially, other tools emerged to manage these computing systems. And Puppets was was one of them, but it, it was just one of, of many options out there at that point. And so they went through a couple CEOs after Luke stepped down to try and find a, a new path. And it really never became clear. As, as recently as last year, they were planning for an IPO and planning to go public. And it didn't happen. It was it was clear that that market had passed by. Now, they're still a, a, a large company. They say they do $100 million a year in recurring revenue. Uh, so that that's a big business. Uh, you can they didn't disclose their sale price. The company that bought them, this Minneapolis company called Perforce Software, which is in the same market, they didn't disclose the sale price. But it's surely some multiple of a hundred million dollars. Uh, their hundred million dollars revenue. It it wouldn't be shocking if this was a billion dollar deal. And perhaps at some point that will come out when we'll have a dollar figure. So it's it's as as Luke Canise, their founder, said, it's it's kind of a bittersweet moment. All all acquisitions are bittersweet. He said, he said, nobody should start a company in hopes it becomes part of a larger company. And he said, I, I, he does think this is a, as good an outcome for the company as it could make it for as many people as possible. The Portland office will stay. Puppet will exist as a product line and brand. Other Portland tech companies that have been sold over the last several years have essentially been dissolved. Uh, some of them anyway. Others have, yeah. have done fairly well. But I think Puppet will still be an economic engine here for a while. But we're, it's not going to be a big standalone tech company, which I think seven or eight years ago, there seemed to be a strong chance that it would become that. And that's kind of the larger story is, you know, Oregon and the Portland area, for the most part, it's it's like the outpost for companies, right, where they have a sizable footprint, whether it's Intel, more and more that, that, corporate. that had been yeah. the case, whether it's eBay or Amazon, which bought another Portland startup, Elemental Technologies, um, Apple has a presence here, HP, and of course, Intel. We've been we've been the the outpost uh, for a long time. Now, over the last couple of years, you know, there have been some promising other companies, but they've kind of come out of left field. Uh, I think 10 years ago, you might not have pictured Dutch Bros as being what it's Oregon's fifth largest company now uh, by market yeah. value. And that drive through coffee chain is is really humming. 
And then we had a, a company move here, Expensify. They provide workplace expense software to manage your employees' expenses, uh, mostly to small and mid-sized businesses. And their CEO had lived in, in Portland before, and he's moved back here. This was our first tech IPO since 2004 when they went public last year. They don't have a huge number of people here, but they do have the CEO. And it's it's sort of a sign that, you know, between Dutch Bros, uh, Expensify, there's an, uh, another company, which uh, Vacasa, the vacation rental management giant, uh, they've all kind of got uh, a, a place here now. And I, I think that there's a sign that, you know, maybe we're not going to have a booming ecosystem of homegrown companies, but we're not going to be totally without them. They'll emerge every so often. Well, it's fascinating stuff. And uh, thanks so much for chronicling all of it and taking time to talk about it. Yeah, it's good to see you, Andrew. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with you, Oregonian. I shared links to some of Mike's recent Intel stories in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show and tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.